Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of New Game Old Flame and my name is Andy. Hello everyone, my name is Diego. I live in England. And I live in Finland. And we decided to make this podcast because we really, really love retro games, but we noticed no one's ever done anything uh, in regards to new games on old platforms. So who are we and what do we do? Well, without going too much into details, let's say that we are somewhat middle-aged people who had their experience with home computers since the 80s. We grew up with machines like the Commodore models and the Spectrum Sinclair models and the early 8-bit consoles. And at some point in life, let's say that it all came back to us. <laughs> yes. And also, let's say we, we actually really loved these machines and we used to um, meet in summer. And instead of going out playing, we used to just sit in the room and play video games all the time. So we actually grew very fond of these machines as well. Um, and so I think what, what draws us to this is we've been playing lots of games and old games, but it's really fascinating to see the new, new, new games and new software that comes out for the old machines and new hardwares as well, which is, is really, really interesting for me. And I'd say that for a while, for quite many years, between the 90s and the early 2000s, it's been a very niche hobby, the one of retro gaming. But recently, it looks like quite a lot more people are interested in it. Perhaps it's because we're all getting middle-aged yeah. <laughs> and having a sort of nostalgic wave or something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. But at least uh, I can say, I'm speaking for both of us here, that we haven't ever really stopped. Yeah, it's like a it's like a passion, isn't it? You know, not a passion. It's just being being young at heart, I think. And it's um, it it really um, I don't know. It's mesmerizing playing games. I still think nowadays I get carried away. Even if when, when I play the new games, I play new games obviously as well, PS4 and the likes. And I think it's um, it just sometimes it's really relaxing and it really takes the time away for you and makes your body relax. Your brain does not think. Oh, it's it's just it's just like really meditative. That's an interesting take. Haven't thought about that myself. So. What kind of people are we? So this is the first episode, uh, and it's the pilot. So it's not going to contain any information about video games. It's not. It's just an, a small introduction about ourselves, really. Exactly. And probably most people will skip it. But if you don't, then you get a little extra info. What we wanted to say in this episode is what we're going to talk about in the next episodes, more or less. More or less. It's very. It's very floaty. So we will probably talk about different um, games for different platforms that have recently come out. Uh, we have a, a pipeline of episodes that we're really interested in playing in and covering, let's say, most platforms possible, consoles, even if we, let's say, we've been brought up with home computers, such as the Spectrum and the Commodore and the Amiga, we also like the consoles. Um, so we will cover those as well. Well, as a matter of, of fact, I think we might have a little bit ambitious plans to try and cover 
almost everything that at least has a certain widespread recognition or used to have back between the 80s and the 90s. And possibly maybe even something less common that not many people have heard about. But I'd say that the whole point of the podcast is anyway to talk about new releases or relatively fairly new releases. Anything that has at least come out commercially or from amateur programming for very old consoles and computers after they have been discontinued for a long time. That's the focus of our podcast. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, so yeah, this is what this is generally what we're going to talk about. So there'll be a bit of crossover and, and we might do like an occasional retro episode as well, but lots of podcasts do that already. So what we really want to be focusing on is, as, as Diego said, new releases for discontinued um, platforms. And I think that's the, probably the best way to put it. Is it going to be, you know, um, stuff like applications as well? We don't know. Uh, is it going to is it going to be like ports of other games? We don't know. Generally, we we're going to keep it really loose. So if we want mm -hmm. to do an episode on a port, we'll do it. If we don't want to do it, we won't do it. But in general, it's going to be just newer stuff, newer stuff. And then there's going to be some some weird scenarios where, like, sensible word of soccer, which is an old game that is updated through the years. I know you know Diego is uh, is very very keen on that game. Has a lot mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've, we've seen it already covered in very popular podcasts. Let's see if there is any reason to talk about it here again. But yes, uh, the, the idea was anyway to, to think of what has um, kept going on after the old computers and consoles were basically had basically become unavailable for purchase new but uh, somehow people who love those consoles and computers kept either, first of all, uh, only as a hobby, I suppose, but eventually it also came back with a commercial attitude that have been uh, still making releases for these. Sensible World of Soccer is a little bit different because uh, rather than... Uh, um, being a completely new game it's just something that has been developed further by the hobbyists by the people who loved it they find a way first of all to um, add or modify the data set so to um, advance the timeline of the game and keep it actually current with the current teams every year and then they learn to go further and even expanded the game quite a lot but it's a very special case. I think mostly we just would like to, to test ourselves and then talk about completely new games most of the times. And I think this is good because um, there has been time, decades of time for programmers to learn how to really get the best out of those computers. So I used to think personally that some of the best games came out very late in the timeline of those home computers. And uh, this was a little bit of a pity because by the time 
some of the most advanced games came out, most of the people had already moved to new machines. And so some of those best games didn't even really get much attention. So what has happened now that programmers can really squeeze the best out of those machines? What kind of games are they able to make now? Mm. And also the, the advances in, in programming languages mean they can tackle problems in a different way, I think. So they, they can actually make games more efficiently, maybe. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a developer, so I don't know. But that's my idea. <clears throat> yeah, we'll try to also investigate this directly with, the, with some of the programmers. Yes. We try to contact them and uh, invite them in some of our episodes and if that's not possible at least interview them offline and then report whatever interesting bits of information we can find from them yes uh, so i also would like to say that we would like to talk about some um you know advances so what whatever's coming out obviously under the, in the video game uh, world but there's always um in the hardware section as well, as what I'm trying to get at here, is there's a lot of evolution. There's lots of things coming out continuously. It's hard to keep track of everything as well. So, and we, we don't claim to be doing a news section. We won't do that. But if we discover something that we like and we found out, it might still be old news, but we'll still say it. You know? like for example, I, I'm putting together <clears throat> a Pi Storm right now with Emu68, and it's really, really amazing. Um, but that's probably old news, but it's something that makes your any stock 500 a mega 500 like work like a, a really really powerful machine, and it, it's very simple to to put together really stuff like that, uh, and you know like Spectrum Next has come out uh, maybe we'll mention stuff like that and uh, the Amiga Mini the Evercade that that sort of um, it, it won't be a, an in-depth coverage. Let's say the focus will, will remain on the games anyways. <clears throat> All right. So, Andy, would you like to tell everybody more about your background? Because I think that uh, there's some difference between the two of us. Well... I would dare say that you are the hardware guy and I'm the software guy, so to speak. Yes. I like, uh, yeah, I, I like playing games. I, I get frustrated very. So this is another thing that I'm really interested in seeing in modern games is like when when you were a kid, you play the you play a game, you put it in, you put the cassette in, you play it. It takes five hours to load, and you and then you play it, and you lose five hundred lives really quickly because it's so difficult and, and unplayable. And there's there's a um, a very different way nowadays that games are conceived with in. Uh, so <clears throat> nowadays, games are conceived not to make the the people play the players frustrated, and it kind of guides you slowly into the game, and also it keeps the replayability value really high. So you probably don't die as much. Um, you, you if something happens, you're just brought back a little bit, um, and there's all these kind of advances that have been made in the, let's say UX realm of games. That is that can be transported now on the old machines, which I think is really really interesting, um, and I want to see how that works out on in let's say in the new games that are being released, and then there's obviously as, as Ziggy was saying the hardware side of things where I'm more keen on 
So I'm always keen on um, machines. And I remember when I first saw the ZX Spectrum compared to what I had was Teletext at home. Um, the ZX Spectrum was amazing. And I looked at that piece of, uh, it was a rubber, a rubber key for 48K. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this is wonderful machine. And I've always been mesmerized by the machine and the machine was the thing that made the games. And so when the Commodore arrived, I had a Commodore 64 after that, and I was really, really keen into that and what you could do. I didn't do much programming, but the machine represented what I saw on screen. So for me, that was the best thing. And then, you know, the Amiga, and that was just a huge, huge leap. I still remember when I had the Spectrum, uh, not Spectrum, sorry, the, the Commodore 64 at that time, there was, they were selling the NES in one of the supermarkets, but and then NES, I think it was technically superior to the Commodore 64. It has more colors, it seems, um, at least that, but no matter what, I used to think my Commodore 64 was the best thing, better than everything. Even when the Amiga came out, I still thought my Commodore 64 was still, you know, the bee's knees. It was the best thing still. And let's say every machine I've ever owned, I always thought, well, obviously until recently, but it's the same kind of thing. Every machine I've ever owned has always been like the best thing. And then when I got the PS4, oh, look at that. Oh, oh the graphics. Oh, and the PS5 now, oh, I don't have one of those, but let's say uh, maybe in the future, it will be the same thing. I will buy it and I'll just be mesmerized by it and what it can do. But the games are at this day and age, uh, it's hard to find the time to play them, to be honest. What about you? Yeah, well, I share some of your feelings for sure, but uh, I also sometimes I got a certain sort of rejection towards modern games. Um, yeah, well, maybe about 10, 15 years ago. And of course, it might have to do something with also life changes, not being able to to really dedicate myself to gaming as much as before due to family and work and usual middle age problems. But uh, I also think that I started thinking about games in a different light. Um, when I was a kid, it was very much about the technical advances in games. So for a long time, it was all about graphics and resolution and more colors and uh, Audi, of course, itself. Um, I kind of uh, got hit badly by the 3D era because for some odd reason, I think you know that, but uh, early 3D games gave me some sort of motion sickness. Nothing, nothing serious, but a sort of, well, discomfort, physical discomfort. I think it was all those bright color and very fast moving of, of the background in games like Quake and, and Castle Wolfenstein or Doom. And it I kind of developed a sort of rejection for that sort of games. And I couldn't play first-person shooters, for example, for ages. Uh, not only until, you, lots of people had that. Lots of people had what you're saying. All right, until they became so fluid that I started feeling more comfortable. But it still happened some with some game for some reason. And it, I think it might have been one of the reasons, but not only, the other one being lack of time. And 
it's good that you mentioned that typical gameplay had changed dramatically between the 80s and the, the last 20 years because uh, I think it all started off with the arcade games they were specifically designed to last short because you had to put your coins to play those games and the longer the game the less coins would go into the cabinet and so uh, obviously those games were pretty much designed to be challenging yeah and, and take all the money off minutes. yeah yes and i think it had a huge impact also on early 8-bit era home computer and console game design it was a little bit better already because the idea was well now you can buy your own home computer or your console and you don't have to pay the coins anymore to play you have it so yes but the ports were so the main the main thing yeah it's very interesting because i never thought about this but well i did but not in this context um the main games that were coming out on these home computers back then were like always ports from the arcade so they would still have that rapid kind of oh, that you know you do something die do something die die yes. and then you have to start from the beginning and did we ever get do you think we ever got something that was a bit more in depth well i i would say that they started seeing a lot more potential as soon as home computers became widespread in the 80s but indeed i'm absolutely i absolutely agree it started off pretty much like that and actual ports of arcade games were big sellers they were big selling point for consoles especially i think the ColecoVision console was uh, uh, famous because it was mostly about trying to make as as faithful as possible ports of arcade games for example and then well with the commodore 64 they already started to deviate into different kind of games and at some point i dare say that commodore 64 had almost every possible type of games it didn't matter anymore that uh, uh, the gameplay was based on uh, hard challenges and losing lives quickly and lasting just a few minutes they could expand into everything but uh, still i think it persisted for years the idea that a game was not supposed to last longer than the time that you would keep your computer on so to speak yeah that's true as later well. later on also because of the loading methods and saving methods only when we started getting floppy disk and then later on hard drives we started seeing point and click adventures where you would definitely have a story that you couldn't finish in one evening um, because mostly the game was about trial and error figuring out if you knew the solution maybe the game would last three four hours but before you knew how to solve the whole story it could take weeks and then saving was very much a needed feature but if we think about even more recent time you've mentioned it i think the way people play games has changed really a lot and i think the complete opposite 
example to those early 80s games could be, for example, World of Warcraft. Complete massive success worldwide, millions or tens of millions of players. And it's completely the opposite. It's a kind of game that never ends. And uh, in a sense, you cannot die. And it's multiplayer in a massive way with absolute strangers. And uh, you can't really die in a sense that, yes, of course, you're going to die a lot of time, but every death is just a minor setback. It's not, there is never such a thing where you lose and you have to start again from the beginning. That's just kind of over <laughs> in a sense. So it's a completely different way to, to play a game, in my opinion. And going back to what I was saying before, that at some point I kind of experienced some drive back to something shorter so that uh, even though I absolutely did like games like World of Warcraft, play that for a while at least, love the concept and uh, everything about it, but still it seemed like it wanted me to invest time in that. And I think, think like that five or fifth or sixth times I got kicked by some random teenager in South Korea, probably in that game, <laughs> I realized, okay, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> I'm never going to sit here and learn how to be competitive at this game. So I, I would rather, and I started wanting to go back to a more simple, perhaps, but still pretty much satisfying way of playing games. Hang on, I'd like to add one thing here because you, you mentioned about this is very interesting, you know, the the fact that you know when when you had floppy drives and you could save before that you couldn't save. Well, it was way more difficult. But and and then <clears throat> the 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 advent of the floppy disk and the ability to quickly save something that that was really uh, revolutionary for the for the video game industry. But also, I was thinking because you mentioned it. I still remember the first time I went into World of Warcraft, and and I and I kept and I walked, and I, this was a bit of a, a limitation of uh, of some of the games. So I, I I played one of the ones I remember. I, I finished it all called Sin um, on the PC. I think it was a three D shooter back in the day, and I remember having the thing called Invisible Walls. So at a certain point, you'd go in a world, and it would kind of stop. And for in World of Warcraft, I, I remember always, I kept on walking and walking and walking, and it never stopped. It never stopped. You could go on for a long time. Then you'd reach water, and then you'd go in the water, and you start swimming. But then, you you know, it was a long... You could keep the, the, the arrow pressed for like an hour, half an hour, I don't know, and it kept on walking. So also, the change in the machine as well allows for bigger worlds to explore as well which is again really really interesting i think oh well i you you just mentioned my favorite feature of that game <laughs> because i uh, for some reason i was totally sold on that idea of having uh, this huge map that you could just wander around and explore a little bit and see the scenery change for example when you went from one zone or region to another all the creatures would change to another theme, but uh, everything from the ground to the sky changed to a different color palette and, and theme as a whole. Like, I, I, I wasn't that interested in the action, to be honest. 
I find it a bit repetitive. And uh, even if I know there's quite a lot of depth in in this game, many things you you can do, especially if you grow up in levels. But sometimes I just wanted to explore around and uh, even go into regions I was not supposed to and try to avoid everything because then it was not easy to survive in other regions, but just to see how it looked in the yeah, next, yeah. next area. I remember doing the same thing as well. So you just go around and I just go, oh, let's see this. and go a bit further on, go a bit further on. Oh, look, this is different. This is all different. And then I obviously get killed because the, the, the mobs were too high level. You know? Do you think that your own preferences for the types of game have changed through the years? Yeah, I think so. I think I think it, it's all down to how how the game is played. Like, um, so a, a very distinguishing feature that used to be prominent way back back then in the days was you play on your Commodore sixty four, and the game would not look as good as the port if it was a port, and it would play. Not most of the games wouldn't play very well, to be honest. They wouldn't be as playable as the other ones that used to be then in the arcade and the arcade was probably much more powerful but you it was very responsive it was it was very different it was thought out and you could run around and it just felt more more alive kind of thing <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't know how to explain it differently it just seems more responsive and obviously more colorful so Back in the days, I really liked the arcade. The arcade was the thing I really enjoyed, and I, and I was everything that I was looking for on on the Commodore sixty four. I was hoping it was going to look more and more like an arcade because that's what I thought was the best thing that could ever happen. But so back then, that was my aim. And but nowadays, um, things like you know shooters and 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 that kind of um, that kind of games. I kind of gone off on them a little bit. I think um, the way I experience games nowadays is I tend to not like as much the the older games uh, that are basically uh, quick deaths, quick death games, game over, try again from the start especially. I don't have the time and I get really frustrated if I have to go over those cycles over, over, over and over again, unless they're well made, like really well made. And I prefer longer, longer games that have a story. And once upon a time, this was really hard to do, especially on smaller machines. But you can start seeing these kind of games pop up a bit more in the future. I think it was with the PlayStation 2. No, not even, sorry, not even PlayStation 2, PlayStation 1, where we start having RPGs. You could never imagine to have an RPG on a Commodore 64 on a tape. It's incredible. There were some games as well. There, was some, there were some adventure games that were, I think, uh, really nice back in the days. Some of them on the Spectrum as well. There was The Hobbit, I remember my uncle was had in, in, in his garage. And then I think I played with you. There was um, that game that I mention every now and again that was an adventure. It wasn't Italian, but it was an adventure. And I really enjoyed that. But um, the kind of story it told was still quite limited, even if it was texted, you know, 64K or less probably. Mm -hmm. um, couldn't really tell um, a story like they tell nowadays. If you, if you compare 
that to, for example, just how the storytelling is in modern games, it's completely different. I think there is also a certain difference in magnitude of the team behind certain games nowadays. Of course, yeah, yeah. There is a um, there was still a huge industry back then, but I think that the typical game programming company of the eighties was still quite small. Yes, just yes, a bunch yes. of people, and there there are lots of games for AP computers, and that were basically one man game. Plus, usually the music composer. Uh, I think I I noticed this many times that there is one programmer and one music composer. That's another person who maybe knows a little bit more about music, but otherwise the programmer would be doing everything. But nowadays you have uh, multi-million productions of games. Uh, just think about all the voice acting that is being put into uh, typical console games. Uh, at least the bigger titles, of course, not the platforms that, but uh, the bigger titles with adventures and and shooters or three D actions, and they have a story, so they have professionals behind this the story and the screenplay. One person just writing the dialogues, or even more than one. That was not really possible back then. Yeah, about of course, yeah, it was a very different. People were coding in their bedrooms or something like that, and uh, I think Manic Miner was was coded by one person only. It was very different, and also video games ha- have had. A, used to have a form of stigma around it. If you played video games, you were a bit of a nerd. Yeah, I remember that. I think that's also a little bit today, not that much, but yeah, but it's changed a lot. It's changed like it's been. It's, it's some video games are are really adult oriented as well, which is quite interesting. Uh, it was it's very it's a very different uh, scene compared to back then. So how how would you say that? How did you really get into retro games? So how did it work for you? I know how it worked for me. I know how it worked for me. That, uh, all right, shall I say it first, maybe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> Go on, then. Okay. Well, um, uh, back then, when, when I was um, a child, I also started off with the Commodore 64. That was my very first home computer ever. Wait, 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 wait a second. So uh, t- tell me instead. Go on with this, but before... When was your first exposure to a video game, and how did that happen? Before did, did it happen before you had a Commodore sixty four? Not really certain about what was the true first experience, because it could have been with the arcades, but it could have been uh, um, one clear memory I have. It was primary school maybe seven year old or something like that very early 80s and uh, at the neighbor's house they used to have this atari 2600 or vcs and uh, i have vivid memories of playing with my neighbor on their atari but uh, i i don't remember if this happened before or after the arcade so it's not completely sure but um Okay. There, I also have some memories of playing 
Atari Pong at uh, some relative place. That's even older. That's like mid 70s, but it was probably something they had had for years when we played it already, and I still had it back then. So not necessarily my first exposure. But uh, let, let, anyway, my real first computer was Commodore 64, around uh, nine years old or something like that. And why did you get that? Who Did you get it yourself? Well, clearly, I don't think you did. Well, I did ask for it, but obviously my parents bought it as a, as a present. I don't remember for what occasion. I was think... it was it with the with the intent of gaming or was it with the intent of doing something? Well, it was because I was completely fascinated by computers back then. I had seen a little bit of Commodore, um, for example, Vic Twenty at friends' houses, or these early consoles like the Atari or the Intellivisions that were going about that time. And uh, but I just was really fascinated about computers. I, my dad used to take me a couple of times to these uh, computer conventions or uh, expositions in bigger cities. And I, I really, really was interested in the, in the new technology, mostly. And the Commodore 64 was pretty much the big computer that had been around for one or two years when we got it. So I knew about it. Some friends already had it, asked for it. And that's when it all started for me to put my fingers on a keyboard. Then maybe three, four years after that, moved to the Amiga 500, a couple of years more. And then I was already in high school. So we had to actually study a little bit of computer science. And I had to get myself an actual PC. DOS first, Windows later. Yeah. So, but um, at that time, I was still in the process of moving on from one to the other. And uh, I even gave away my Commodore 64 to some friends when I upgraded to the Amiga. And then I got back uh, into it, into Commodore 64, first through emulation, really, and end of the 90s, or a little bit after that, there was this new thing. I mean, what, what made you, what made you, what, what was the spark that's, that made you say, oh, I want to see this Commodore 64 again? No, I think it was just a... Um, general nostalgic feeling I, that I had in my middle 20s that uh, because it was not only about that it was about a series of things pretty much everything that I had kind of uh, removed for a while from my life but still remained in my memories so I didn't just go back to the old games of my childhood I also went back to the movies and the music of my childhood even the comics or the anime that, well, perhaps not everybody knows outside of Italy, but in Italy, Japanese animation series were absolutely huge, were a huge thing. Everybody who was born in Italy in the 70s and 80s has been educated over Japanese 
TV series. <laughs> so they're very much part of our culture in my generation. And uh, all these things that I had not seen or heard for 10, 15 years kind of came back in a sort of first nostalgic wave when I was in my mid-20s. And that was about the time when emulation was was starting to appear. There was a MAME emulator for arcade machine, which I think was originally developed by Italian engineers. And soon afterwards, there were the early Commodore 64 emulations. So even long before I eventually got an actual Commodore 64 back in hand, I've been trying to rebuild my memories on what I had been playing as a kid. And there's a twist to that, because another thing that probably people don't know, unless say they lived in Italy, in the 80s, the vast majority of games for these computers were actually sold in a... Newsagent. Not so uh, legal way. Well, as a matter of fact, they were completely legal because there was a lack of jurisdiction or lack of laws about copyrights back then. And we absolutely had no idea, being kids, we would just go to newspaper kiosks and they would sell magazines printed with a price tag on them. So how could we ever thought that there was anything shady about this? And these magazines had lots of games. On a tape, you could find five, ten, sometimes even 30 games for a, a small price, the equivalent of a few pounds, so to speak. But those games uh, were essentially pirate games, pirated in the open, in the complete open, because there was no law against it. But what they did, usually, these companies, was to translate the games in Italian language and change the title one second let's just say there there wasn't there was not just one company doing this there was multiple companies every company selling the games under different names absolutely it was very common it was absolutely normal it took it took many years i think only in the mid 90s they finally put together some reasonable law that would protect uh, intellectual in, intellectual property rights about software, but um, but at that time there just wasn't this low coverage for this, so it was completely allowed. And so basically, uh, what you're saying is that you would get like a lot of games for little money. Yes, and original games were still sold in shops. I also bought some of those of course back then i wasn't only buying magazines and uh, that but it was generally more convenient to buy the magazines but what we didn't really know is we didn't know the origin of these games because all of them were translated into italian language even if sometimes it just meant to replace the word score with the word punti in italian nothing much not much of a work but they also pretty much always change the title of the game. Maybe to camouflage it, I don't know, maybe to hide the real origin. So I I think we were pretty much convinced that they were made in Italy, 
all these games. So then there was still the idea that, oh, but shops sometimes also sell the American games or the British games. And uh, they cost a little bit more because, of course, they come from richer countries. So I, I did buy some of those. I remember buying Spy the Spy, for example, one of my very most favorite game of the Commodore 64. And I bought the original one. I bought Back to the Future, for example, and Superman the Game, and uh, Just, and a few others. But... Um, most of the games that we would buy was these Italian publications. So then what happened is when I got back into uh, old games in, in my middle 20s, I had to work hard to figure out what were actually the games that I played in my youth because all the titles were messed up. But give some examples of a title. Well, one of my absolute favorite back then was Caduta Massi. That's the name that, or the warning that you see on uh, traffic signs about falling rocks. But the actual game was Boulder Dash. So in Italian, we called falling rocks. Yes, Caduta Massi in Italian. Or uh, Bruce Lee, another legendary game for Commodore 64, in the Italian publication was known as Banzai. For example, <laughs> I remember Henry's house was Casa Dolce Casa. That means home sweet home. It was pretty much the norm. So it was fun back then having to uh, investigate all my memories and try to put the real title on all, all, all those games that I had played. And I think that's how it started, with uh, just wanting to go back to the same game that I played as a, as a child. But after that, well, I also started to think, how about exploring games that I have not played as a child? What about computers and consoles that I have not and that I never owned before? And you might have noticed I didn't mention that I own any console because I was never a console guy. At, at some point when we were teenagers, uh, we kind of split between the friends who got consoles and the friends who got home computers. And now I'm going to say something a bit snob here, I know, but usually mm -hmm. those who were a little better at school... <laughs> preferred home computers and the oh, others preferred consoles. Well, it was just uh, just, just a statistic, so to speak. But <laughs> we, we, we did notice that kind of split along that line. And uh, I never actually, I was never really interested in console as a principle that just games, even though I was spending 98% of my times on gaming on all my computers, but I still wanted to have something that I could also program, that I could also try to put my hands on and uh, make it work myself, not just play a game for fun. So and that, did you? I, I did a little bit, yes. I, I can't say that I got any good results, but I did dabble in programming in, in all of these. Uh, well, eventually, I also became a sort of 
computer programmer by trade in my job but uh, not for games but uh, with those old computers yes i try to do some simple games and also some simple utility programs on the commodore 64 back then with amiga it was more difficult to be honest i would rather use construction kits to build games or i did uh, many music <laughs> composing on famous programs like the sound tracker and noise tracker and octomed and deluxe music things like that um and then with the dos yes of course then i started programming more seriously but um yeah i basically never owned a console until four or five years ago and why did you decide to try uh, a console well well the first console i tried was not really retro it was a ps3 playstation 3 and that was just because some friends of ours were were selling theirs they had moved to playstation 4 and uh and so i thought why not let let's get it they had these uh these rock band games that we had played together at their house and we had a lot of fun and i thought that i would have my children try them out they were there were already out of fashion games so not exactly retro but they still counted as not new enough to me but um uh, then of course afterwards i became interested in everything retro and that had to include consoles and i'm glad i did because uh, i nowadays quite a lot enjoy 8-bit console games and 16-bit console games also right okay but <laughs> i've been talking way too much now i i wanted to ask well since since you ask me some of the games that uh, some titles that i really i was really fond of i've said just three or four of them now but there's of course thousands but what about you yeah well my i, I i'm trying to be a bit short but yeah the same way i think i i my my first um, encounter with a home computer, I think it was um, ZX Spectrum that one of my dad's colleagues had, and I saw it for the first time. And again, compared to Teletext, it was amazing, and I wanted to play. Then I discovered one of my uncles had it, and I and I used to oh, be really fascinated. And I was playing again the ZX Spectrum, Attic Attack, Attic Attack, I think it's called. Oh, I was one yes. of the first, but the very very first one I played was Carrier Attack on the ZX Spectrum which was very difficult, but I really like that. I really tried that loads of times. In fact, that reminds me that I want to try it again because it's been so long. After that, uh, I think I got one and uh, yeah, I used to play with you mainly. And on those tapes that we used to buy in the, in the, at the news agents, they usually, not always, but usually had a double side so on one side of the tape there was commodore 64 games and on the other side there was spectrum games so maybe you'd buy them and i'd buy one and then we, we would like um see each other in summer 
and we would try the opposite sides of those tapes. That was, I think, really fun. And let's discover what games are in here, like 30 games on, you know, on each side. <clears throat> Trouble of that was, I always remember the tape. You have to wait to the number. So you have to go and find the game on the tape, which is not an easy task <laughs> to do, especially if you want to play certain games. You have to go to that place in the tape the first time, write the number down, and then you can go back to that game and make it start from that point. It was um, just a bit mad. And then, yeah, I saw the Commodore 64, but I didn't think, I thought the Spectrum was much better because I saw the Commodore 64 at your house and it, it because you had a, a green screen monitor, I thought it just oh did my God. It was monochrome. And I thought, oh, this is not good. Yeah, I was really hoping you were not going to bring that up. <laughs> yes. I can't believe I lived through childhood with a Commodore 64 and a monitor screen completely in green and without audio without Wasn't sound audio? Oh, it was without right. sound oh that's so, cool. it was, so yeah it was terrible yeah it well, was terrible that's how yeah. i experienced my commodore 64 and then i think my dad got me I, I was in the hospital for a while and he and he got it for me and then i saw it and thought oh this is very different from from what diego has and it was the same machine and and then I realized it does have audio, but I think by then you'd moved on to the Amiga. Yes, and then of course I had I had played the Commodore 64 properly, for example, on a television. And uh, but um, even then we used to have we used to have a black and white television back then in the in the living room. And wow, later really old. On, yes, very old and big and bulky and afterwards we got our first color television but it was still very unwieldy to bring the computer in the living room because it was also our dining room so uh, i did it rarely and uh, i just mostly stick with the monitor but thinking about it then i, I still feel guilty that i didn't realize when i <laughs> went with my dad to buy this computer and was nine years old if i remember and I have a memory of that clerks at the shop uh, convincing my father that it was a good idea, yes, to protect the child's eyesight because, you know, screen. With a green screen. Oh yeah, with a green God. screen. I don't know, it was a Terry back then. And I, I, I also had that option on my Amiga. Um, don't remember the model, but it's one of the very, very most common uh, uh monitors that were sold together with the Amiga. It also had a green screen option, but I pretty much never used it. But the Commodore 64 one only had that option. And without audio, why why would someone ever sell a monitor for a Commodore 64 that had this wonderful seed audio chip? Why they would ever sell it with a mute monitor? I mean, even Pong had audio. It was a beep, boop. But it was had audio. It was. It must yeah, have been that. nothing. Yes, but <laughs> that's quite funny. Anyway, uh, after that, basically, I moved on to an Amiga as well, and I, I sold everything I had slowly. And I obviously I regret it nowadays because everything nowadays is worth a load of money, uh, especially here in England. Um, but just for nostalgic purposes, I do I do regret selling them, and. Then moved on to a PC like yourself and then started programming. And when, uh, same as yourself, as again, when the um, 
meme came out or mummy uh, then i thought oh finally i can play those games without spending so much money because don't get me wrong i used to i don't know if it was with you but i remember <clears throat> so in italy you don't go to the chip shop to play video games back in the 80s you went into bars which are not pubs they're like bars and they had video games inside and there was some in my little city where i used to live village i should say and they had uh, bad dudes versus dragon ninja and i remember i had 10,000 lira at the time and I was like oh I'm going to finish this now and I spent 20 <laughs> in coins just to finish it and I thought and I did finish it and um it was a good experience but I thought this is way too much money for me um so when the meme came out I I thought well now finally I can actually try them these games because they're so beautiful and I remember like killer instinct all the fighting games I used to love love those but never play them because I'd get slaughtered anyways. It was, but they were really beautiful. I wanted to try them with some peace and quiet. So that's how I started with me. And as yourself, I've never owned a, a console. Um, I never did. And again, regret it a bit, but it, in a way it was how things went. And I, and I'm quite happy how things gone also because what that allowed me to do is that later on, so fairly recently, uh, I started experiencing the consoles in full and there's loads of games that I've never played but still it's not really my cup of tea these games uh, they're not really my cup of tea because you played them but they it's like instant death jump to the pixel it's they're impossible there's respawning there's loads of things that don't really work out for me again um, so I do have some patience for them but not as much as I would and again this is why I think new game of flame brings this new way of experiencing games into the past and i'm really curious to see what it does but in a nutshell that's that's how i experienced them um, games in the past and um how i was how my like, progression went up and then i was always a pc gamer after you know after the pc i always had pc pc and, and i always disdained the console i had a kind of a prejudice against the consoles as well for the rubbish uh, and to be fair, when I used to see the Nintendo 64, I, I did not like that, to be honest. I did not. People were raving about it, but I I did not like the, the Nintendo 64. So I always thought the PC was much better, and to some extent it did. But just to remind you once, um, you were mentioning before about um, the, the professional actors in video games, and I still remember... I don't remember so I, I do remember but i don't remember what game it was that had on the zx spectrum digitized speech it was un ununderstandable it was indistinguishable you couldn't understand what it was saying but you could hear it was a voice speaking i remember that was like whoa i was really like shocked mm -hmm. and then on the commodore 64 clearly not yours but there was mission impossible and i think it says something like stay a while stay forever or something like that and that was oh, digitized yes. and i was like oh my god i, I just wanted to bolt this on <clears throat> from what you said before and i was completely blown away with that um so yes um i just grew up then with pcs until the name came out and then i started trying you know games like sonic and i thought oh that was really good much better than the amiga that i you know was defending fiercely the Amiga is the best the Amiga is the best 
but Sonic was a really good game and I did not see well, I did see how, how quick it moved and how it used to pan up down on the screen the number of colors and so I thought well maybe you know I've been wrong about consoles and, and let's try them and and some games that were made back in the days again mainly not ports of other games or arcades usually there are some pretty good titles that were made back then but again what what grips me and wants my attention is what can we do today what can we do today with this and yeah computer graphics and storytelling and all that kind of stuff we can bring that back and squish it now i saw a project of making um dragon's lair work on uh, a commodore 64 but not the version that that came out in, in the 80s and 90s i don't remember when but there's an actual movie that you can uh, um you can uh, how do you say it? you can control but it requires an expansion so well i guess it was, requires quite a bit of expansion are you talking about sort of rendition of the yeah of so the, that, that's basically but it's it's very small that's a so game i think the screen of the commodore is 160 pixel wide but then it's mm. doubled and then it's uh, 200 or something so it's very small but still it's very big for the commodore but um with the expansion you can do that kind of i remember game. that back then in early 90s there were that sort of edition of Dragon's Lair Laser game for Commodore Amiga, and uh, oh yeah, I had a couple of those that were multiple discs anyway, sort of like seven or ten discs, and each one of those had maybe just a bunch of levels, definitely not the whole game. No. So if they're trying to do something like that with Commodore 64, it's quite a challenge. But on the other hand, there are now hardware additions that can significantly uh, serve as hard disk. And what do you think about the new hardware that's come out? Yeah, I'm I'm not very very knowledgeable in that, to be honest. But uh, I think that uh, one one big possibility is exactly that of allowing much more complex games to be split into for example into different loading uh, phases but uh, without using uh, uh, a slow uh, a slow storage device like the traditional tapes or even the discs something like a proper hard drive and solid state uh, something that would load easily one level at a time if necessary so from that point of view i think that there is essentially no memory limit uh, in not ram memory but uh, no memory limit in terms of the game size and then of course if you also go into emulation then you really have no RAM limit. If you want, you can even sort of modify the uh, the original way of working of those computers. And, but then it's, let's say, not a real one. It's only emulated. But I think still, my question, this... I think my question was more about, you know, there's some games that are being developed nowadays. Like I think there's 
uh, the Briny Witch Chronicles, and that's for Commodore 64. But I think it's very big. It's like 500k or something like that. While you know, and the Commodore wouldn't be able to do that, you know, back then. And you know, what what your thought on that? You know, do you, is, are you like more of a purist? And they have the games nowadays need to be squashed. They need to be able to be run as they would have been run. Or like, are you okay with uh, having these kind of they're not hacks really? No, I, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. But I I think that. Uh... The best would be if they are playable with a proper hardware expansion of the original. So if if there is something for the machine that you are programming your, your game that would allow this, like a proper cartridge, for example, or something like that, uh, that even though it didn't exist back then, but if it exists now as a hardware that it could have existed back then, so I think it's okay. Mm. Uh, f- yeah, for me, I, 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 I like the hardware that bypasses, let's say for me, the, the loading times, as you said, and maybe the capacity, you know, the, how much they can run, like the, the memory, let's say, in that mm-hmm. respect. But may, may, not the memory that you use, that say you use to actually create sprites and all that and put it on screen, but where the game resides, you know, you can put much more game now on on a single piece of hardware. But I I want I I really want the computer to be the same computer with the same chips with the same limitations that were back then. I I don't know the technicalities, but <clears throat> like I'm gonna say stupid words here now, like. Maybe the Commodore 64 always has two, always had two bit planes. I don't know what even what that is, um, but the, the, seeing how the the new developers find find way around these two bit planes, let's say, and to make it look like it's got four bit planes because they use a special technique or a hack or something like that. So that thing, I think, makes it for me really interesting, and I'm happy to bypass all the loading stuff and the size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that, certainly. All right, well, I think we've reached uh, uh, an hour. Should we wrap this up today? Yeah. So would you like is... to would you like well, to mention what you what you are working on right now in terms of the podcast? Well, at least would you like to mention what games have you already reviewed or have oh. you in mind because uh Yes, I mean, uh, we we can talk about that, but um, so we, we have a but we have a like an episode list. So we've got some games put down that we yeah. It's very tentative still right now, so let's not talk about any orders. But we have been testing quite many games already for different for different platforms. Yeah, so we've got uh, so we're trying to cover the most platforms that we can. Now, clearly. Some platforms are favorable compared to others because they're easier to develop on. So the the old com- home computers especially have a lot of homebrew, but we won't be focusing only on that. We are going to try and have a look at homebrew mm-hmm. on uh, NES, uh, Mega Drive, and consoles in, in, in general as much as we can, what, what we can find. So <clears throat> if you ever... If you want to suggest something uh, to us or to review or to have a look at and to bring our attention to, please do so. 
um, write to game at uh, newgameoldflame.com and we'll we'll read that and we'll go and find this your suggestions out in terms of games and we'll try them and we'll if if we can we'll bring them on the podcast and have a, have a go at them but for now we've done some research and um, what we've come up with is again a, a bunch of titles I think I've tried for now a Mega Drive game initially it was called Misplaced um, by Retro Souls which is an interesting puzzle game um, that will be coming soon and I've tried Cheesy Trials, which is a VIC-20 game, and that's a puzzle game, but it's very well done. That's all I can say for now. Uh, there's uh, quite a few, but these are the ones I've tried. I think okay. you've tried more than me. Yeah, but I, I get a feeling you don't want to give too many spoilers around, but I, I would mention that it, well, it's very easy to find nowadays new games for Commodore 64, for example. There's an abundance of those, and uh, I wanted to um also try out things i mostly missed back in the day so i've been focusing for example on uh, testing msx games for instance that's a computer that i saw only from one friend that i remember back then at school and uh, i'm finding out that it's actually pretty good and uh, i think the modern games for then are much better than the games I used to know about uh, the original era MSX For sure, games. Yes, yes, I agree. And yeah, then of course all the Commodores. I I love all the Commodores. The Vic Twenty. It's kind of the smallest, smaller but but older brother of the Commodore sixty four, but it has its own charm. And I loved already to have tried a few games, including the one you you mentioned, Cheesy Trials is possibly my favorite among those uh, new games I found for VIC-20. Amiga, of course. And uh, it's more difficult to find Atari games, to be honest, made modern, but I have... There are some of those as well. I have a small bunch of titles that I want to try eventually. I haven't yet. Otherwise, I think that about consoles, yeah, the Mega Drive or Genesis, as it was known in uh, Japan. I have I have tried a few games of those few modern games, and for Nintendo, the 8-bit NES and ES system, as well as the the ZX Spectrum. That's another another old computer I'm very fond of. I never had it, but you had it, and I had great memories of childhood meeting each other and uh, coming to visit you and your family and playing with this odd machine so small with rubber keys and a rainbow ribbon on one corner. It was very weird. I thought first that what what the hell is that happening on the screen when your sprite moves on top of some background and suddenly the colors are inverted that was the infamous color clash of spectrum computers but despite its quirk i think it's a very interesting machine and there's lots of games uh, done in the last few years although well not all of particularly good quality but at least i am 
very happy that there are people developing games for the Spectrum as well, even after all this time. I think you, you tried you tried misplaced as well, haven't you? Oh yes, I've tried it all. I finished it all, and I think in fact it's a great game. I think it's absolutely great. But well, we'll go back to it. I think we can make one of our earliest episodes on that because it's. I have a lot to say about it. Positive. Uh, also, I, I think we're trying to find that there is some homebrew and some new games for even, you know, arcade kind of platforms like the Neo Geo, Neo Geo, Neo Geo, I don't know how you say it properly, but so machines like that will, I mean, as a surprise, maybe to some people, they, they've never seen any homebrew on that. There are a couple of games that look pretty, pretty good. And yeah, and focusing on, so some, on some consoles that I've never owned. Well, have a look what, what there is, what, what's on offer. There, there's some homebrew also on the N64, for example, which is quite interesting. There's one called Big Burger. But yeah, we'll have a look at it all, at all in, in good time. For now, I think it's time to wrap it up here. Yeah, I agree. It's a bit late in Finland, and it's uh, getting late here in, in Britain as well. So, well, thanks for listening, uh, everyone. And um, don't forget to write to us if you want to suggest a game. So it's game at newgameoldclaim.com. And I think we'll, we'll say goodbye now. And I'll talk, I'll talk to you next time. All right. Bye. <laughs>